Section 9 of Strangers at Lisconnel by Jane Barlow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 9. One morning, not long after Christmas, the widow, being bound on an errand down below, called in at the Patmans with a view to possible commissions. Mail was wanted, and while Tishy McCrum stitched up a rent in the bag, Mrs. McGurk noticed where little Katie, who had been took bad wid a cold these three days, rustled uncomfortably among wisps of rushes and rags in an obscure corner. Fever made her bold and self-assertive, for she was wishing nothing less than that her daddy would get her an orange, an orange with yeller peel around it. Katie laid stress upon this point, like the one her mammy got her a long time ago, and daddy'd be a good daddy and get her another now, and she'd keep a bit for Bobby and Stevie and all of them, a big yeller orange. Katie's eyes blazed with excitement as she reiterated these extravagant desires. "'She's got an uncommon fancy for one,' said her daddy, looking wistfully from the child to his wife. "'They have them down below,' suggested the widow, pence apiece. Mrs. Patman's hand was slipping toward her pocket. "'If it was just for once,' she had begun, when Tishy tweaked her sleeve viciously and interpolated a rapid whisper. "'It won't be. There'll be no end to it if you begin humoring them.' So the sentence was badly dislocated." She'll do a deal better without any such trash, Mrs. Patman concluded, and walked off to throw sods on the fire. Just then the widow became aware that old Joe Patman was grimacing at her from a corner fast by in a way that might have startled her had she not been familiar with such modes of beckoning. But when she obeyed his summons, what she saw did astound her outright, for Joe was stooping low over a leathern pouch which he had drawn from a wall cranny and which seemed to contain marvellous depths of silver money, with here and there a golden gleam among it as he warily stirred it up, circling a hurried forefinger. She had only the briefest glimpse ere he shoved back the pouch and thrust a sixpence into her hand, muttering, Get her the orange, don't be let on for your life. As she turned away with a reassuring nod, she perceived that Tishy McCrum was standing unexpectedly near, and looking towards them over the top of the meal bag. Tishy was biting off a loose end of thread, which gave her a determined and ferocious expression. But whether she could have seen anything or not, the widow felt uncertain. She thought not. About ten days after this, Mrs. McGurk was roused at a very early hour by thumping on her door. When she opened it, she found some difficulty in recognizing her visitor, as the dawn had scarcely done more than dim a few stars far away in the east, which is an ineffective form of illumination. "'Whither now, Joe Patman, is it yourself?' she said peeringly. "'And what's brought you out at all?' afore you can see a step or a stim is the little girl took worse for katie's illness still continued and had grown rather serious sure no said the old man katie's just 
pretty middlin but it's waitin i've been the length of the mornin till twould turn broad daylight before i'd be disturbin of you ma'am to tell you the queer sort of a joke they're after playin on me down yonder saints above man what talk have you of jokin at this hour of the day or night said mrs mcgurk feeling the unseasonableness acutely as a bitter gust came swooping up the slope and indiscriminately ruffled the rime-dusted grass tufts and her own grizzled locks och be jabbers it's a great joke they have again me whatever said old patman who was shivering much with cold partly and partly perhaps with amusement you see the way of it was last night no great while after we'd all gone asleep i woke up sudden like as if wid the creak of a door or something but whatever it might be twas slipped beyond me hearin afore i'd got a hold of me senses rightly so i listened a goodish bit and somehow everything seemed unnatural quiet till i heard katie fidgetin and i went over to see would she take a drink of water the lord preserve us and keep us ma'am if all the rest of them hadn't quit quit out of it they have and left us cliver and clean ah now don't be romancin ma'am said the widow remonstrantly what in the name of the nation it bewitch any people to go rovin out of their house in the middle of the black night with the frost thick on the ground quit they are said the old man tom's gone and the wife and every man jack of them they've took the couple of chickens i noticed trishy killin of yesterday begorra i believe they took tib the cat for ne'er a sign of it i see about the place that would mostly be sittin cocked up atop the dresser goodness guide us sorra a soul there is in the house but the two of us me and the child and she's real bad it's a queer old joke it'd be a joke of a set of ravin mad people said the widow but the rest of it is he went on do you mind ma'am he looked round him suspiciously and lowered his voice the leather pouch you might have seen wid me the other day Ooh, said mrs mcgurk are they after taking that on you sure man i thought you had it unbeknownst ay it took old patman said but how she grabbed it i dunno unless i was thinking be any chance you mentioned something about it divil a bit of me did the widow averred with truth which her hearer accepted and how much might you have had in it at all troth i couldn't be tellin you he said i never thought to count it tis just for a pleasure to meself i keep it this long while back i've put ne'er a penny in it but when we used to be livin up in portnafoil i'd slip in the odd shillins now and again and sometimes i'd think twould be handy for burryin me and other times i'd think i'd give it to tom as soon as i'd gathered a trifle more only some way the thought of partin wid it would seem to go again me and since poor tom made a match with martha mccrum tis worse again me it goes tis that good-for-naught weasel of a slovene tishy's after contrivin it on me i well know and bad luck to her quoth the old man with a sudden spasm of resentment tom would never play such a trick i mean it wasn't he invented the joke he doesn't trouble himself with much jokin he's too sensible and steady and perspicuous and uncommon set on me and the child all the while there's no better son in ireland 
Och, but the rest of them mean no harm with it. They're just scheming to drop in presently and be rising a laugh on me. Steps which were promptly taken to verify old Joe Patman's strange story proved it to be correct in every particular. The only fresh fact which investigations brought to light was the presence of a five-shilling piece lying on the dresser, where Joe had overlooked it in the early dusk. All the other inmates, chickens and cat included, had disappeared, and with them most of the few movables, the old man and the sick child being left as forlorn fixtures. Lisconnel at large was neither slow nor circumlocutory in forming and expressing its opinion as touching the nature of the joke, a firm belief in which old Joe resolutely opposed to his troubles as they thickened around him. For no tidings came from the absentees, nor were any heard of them while Katie's fever ran so high that it seemed likely her grandfather would be at small further charges on her account, a prospect which, however financially sound for a capitalist of five shillings or under, nonetheless filled his soul with grief. Then one night, when Katie was at her worst, a great gale came rushing and roaring across the bog, and when the day broke it discovered the patman's brown thatch slope interrupted by a gaping crevasse over which a quick plashing rain-sheet quivered the widow mcgurk had less spare room than heretofore at her disposal now that she harboured a co-tenant with a slight accession of tables and chairs yet she made out a dry corner for the child and her grandfather who accepted these quarters in preference to any others because the widow whatever may have been her private views, was prevented by a mixture of contrariness and magnanimity from joining in the general denunciation of her former allies, compromising as were the circumstances under which they had elected to take their departure. In her society, therefore, he was not obliged to overhear trenchant criticisms upon his Tom's behaviour, and could dilate, at least uncontradicted, upon those gifts and graces in the young man which recent events had certainly placed in some need of exposition other disquieting voices there were however which he could not dodge and they spoke louder every day for his five shillings were melting dwindling had vanished and lisconnel with the best will in the world could ill brook a burden of two incapables more laid upon its winter penury. No word on the subject had reached the old man's outer ears, but as Katie struggled slowly and fractiously toward convalescence, it became clear in his mind that unless something happened, she must, when well enough to be moved, seek change of air away at the big house. Perhaps this prospect was now more constantly before him than even the thought of Tom's filial virtues, as he sat drearily on the bank by the widow McGurk's door. He might often be seen to shake his head despondently, and then he was probably saying to himself, Belike he thought bad of me, keeping the bit of money unbeknownst. By that time he had abandoned the joke theory and fixed his hopes upon the arrival of a letter 
to explain the mysterious nocturnal flitting and say whether they had betaken themselves after passing through Duffclane, the furthest point to which the detective forces of the district had tracked the party young dan o'beirne whose work brought him daily up from down below to the forge a long way on the road toward lisconnel had safely promised to convey this letter so far whenever it came and on many a day the neighbors nodded commiseratingly to one another as they saw the old creature goodness may pity him setting off with himself in quest of it the prompt january dusk would have already fallen before he struggled up the knockhorn to be greeted by the widow in the tone of marked congratulation which our friends sometimes adopt when all reason for it is conspicuously absent well man alive there wouldn't be e'er a letter in it this day anyway och to be sure not at all he would answer cheerfully i would look to there be an e'er a one sooner than to-morrow i hadn't the notion of expectin' a letter whatever twas just for the enjoyment of the bit of a walk i went why to be sure it was but be comin' in man for you're fit to drop and be gettin' your old brogues dried och man you're drowned entirely tis a mighty soft evenin' it's turnin' out and here's katie lookin' out for you this great while began would say she's finally this evenin' glory be to goodness chapter thirteen a return affairs were much in this posture when the widow mcgurk was one day perplexed by the occurrence of two small incidents in the first place as she was starting on an expedition to the town she saw at a little distance something run across the road which looked uncommonly like the patman's black cat tib lisconnel owns no other cats for which she might have mistaken it still as she was puzzled to think how the creature should have hidden itself away for more than a fortnight she concluded that she had been deceived by some fluttering bird or glancing shadow in the next place she happened in the town upon one larry donnelly who in the course of conversation remarked so you've that young patman back would use again what took him to be leggin' off with himself that way and what put that in your head at all said the widow light nor sight we've seen of him or a one of them or likely to it's off out of the country he is belike and he after robbin his old father that's never done talkin foolish about him and leavin his innocent child to go starvin into the union bad luck to him she found a free expression of her sentiments rather refreshing after the restrictions under which she was placed at home well now said donnelly i'd a bet me best brogues i seen that chap a couple of nights ago streelin along the road down about our place but twas darkish enough and i might easy be mistook the widow pondered much over this statement on her homeward way but had the forbearance to say nothing about it she was still undecided whether or no she would communicate it to anybody when next morning on her way for a can of water she saw the black cat unmistakable this time run across the road and as on the day before make off over the bog towards the little river widow mcgurk stood staring after it for a few minutes and came to a resolution then she looked about her and was aware of andy sheridan's head leaning against his doorpost 
of andy her opinion was as we have seen rather low but she could descry no other person available for her purpose so she called to him andy lad i'm goin after me two pullets that strayed on me come and be givin me a hand andy lounged over to her good-naturedly and they turned into the bog where ody rafferty presently joined them the widow thought her fowl might be among the broken ground where the stream runs at the back of the knockhorn and the three went in that direction it was a mild soft grey morning and they met with neither stir nor sound till they came abruptly upon a grassy hollow shut in by furzy banks and fronted by the running water and then the widow who alone had been expecting the unexpected uttered a surprised screech and said och boys dear goodness gracious guide us what they saw was the figure of a man in a long grey coat crouched out of a heap under the bank near him were ranged in a row half a dozen oranges striking up a wonderful golden glow a small grimy scrap of paper was spread out near them covered with several piles of shillings and pennies and a silver thimble beside these tabby the cat sat severely tucked up apparently dissatisfied and irked by the situation at the widow's exclamation the man raised his head and was seen to be tom patman looking haggard and dazed and as hollow-eyed as little katie herself widow mcgurk and oddy and andy stood in a line facing him whither now tom patman said oddy and what might you be doin wid yourself i'm sittin here said tom och musha tell us something we don't know then sittin there you are sure enough but what the mischief are you after might i politely ax and what do you mean by it at all at all i'm sittin here said tom again and starvin i am and sittin and starvin i'll be more betoken till the ind of me old life sure what else ud i be doin and meself to thank for it wid never a soul left belongin me in the mortal world nor a place to be goin to well to be sure said mrs mcgurk if that talk doesn't beat all that ever i heard and himself after traipsin off as permiscus as an old hen that won't sit on her eggs and leavin his own flesh and blood behind him as if they were the dust on the road and then he ups and gives chat about never a soul bein left him twas tishy bad cess to her said tom och but it's the mischievous old devil skins is tishy mccrum and it's herself stirred up martha that wouldn't be too bad altogether if she'd be let alone till the two of them had me tormented wid tellin me the old man had pots of money he never spent as long as he had us be livin on and that we'd all do a deal better if some of us slipped away easy widout raisin a row and left him for a bit while we'd be sellin martha's things and singin about gettin into a decent little place instead of the whole of us to be starvin alive up at lisconnel that's nothin more than a bog bewitched and he after lettin us be sold up they said and all the while ownin mints of money so that we'd no call to be over particular about leavin him to make a shift along wid the child if twas a convenience only he'd be risin a queer wallabaloo if he knew we were goin off anywheres troth i couldn't tell you all the gabbin they had day and night and showin me the place he kept 
his bag hidden in and this way and that way och be dad themselves persuade the hair on your head it grew wrong side out if they'd a mind to it they might so said Ody. supposin i was great gomeral enough to be mindin a word they'd say or the likes of them in his subsequent reports of the interview Ody always alleged that he had replied i very belike supposin it grew on the head of an ass which was certainly neater but Ody rafferty's repartees like those of other people are occasionally belated in this way so the end of it was tom went on nothing else to suit them except gettin all rated up for us to be slinkin out in the evenin late faith i'd twenty minds in me heart again quittin little katie and she that bad however they swore black and white that me father'd be spendin all manner of money on her when he got us out of it and we were to be writin for them to come after us as soon as we were settled and everything agreeable so i went along but if i did ma'am sure when they'd got the bits of furniture sold the only notion they had was to be settin off to make fortins in the states and ne'er a word about katie and the old man och they had me distracted outrageous they were and that old thief of the world tishy allowin me sorra a penny so as i mightn't have been bound to stop wherever they was but one day they thought they had me asleep in the room corner and the two of them was colloguin away at the table so all of a sudden tishy whips out me poor father's bag that i knew the look of right well when he used to keep his backy in it and down she slaps it and it jinglin with money what's that for you says she and the laws bless her says martha is it after taken that you are and what's to become of them creatures up at lisconnel och blather said tishy you needn't be lettin on you didn't well know all this while i had it sure the old one might a had plenty more hidden away on us anyway i left them something to get along with says she the five shillins said the widow och but that one's a caution real hard workin and industrious she is observed andy tom resumed his narrative them two'll do as well inside as out says tishy i'll just be countin the bit of silver says she but bedad i was fairly past me patience and up i leaps and grabs a hold in a little bag och it's a queer fright i gave them that time and they not thinkin i was mindin real terrified they were said tom sitting up more erect and recalling this rare experience with evident complacency and leave that you omadon said tishy with the look of a devil on her what foolery are you at now you thievin miscreant says i to her it's shankin off to the police i'll be and layin a heavy charge agin you for robbin and stealin and you after leavin the innocent child there and the old man to starve without a penny to their names says i fog says she for that matter the fever is like to have took her off again now with no trouble to be starvin and maybe a good job too for everybody and be this and be that says i if i thought there was e'er a fear of it tis ringin your ugly neck round i'd be this instant let go of the bag says she sweepin up some of the shillins that was spilt 
the police says i and a heavy charge if there's another word out of your hideous head i vow and declare says martha i believe twould be the cheapest thing we could do wid him to let him take it and go sure he'd be divil a hapworth more use for an immigrant than the old cat there i was ape enough to bring along to pacify the childer so then tishy gave some more impudence but the last ind of it was we come to an agreement that i'd take the note and the silver and they'd keep what bits of gould was in it and they'd go off with themselves wherever they pleased at all and i'd tramp straight back here to be looking after the child and the old man i bedad we settled it up civil enough and afore i went martha handed me the old thimble and bid me bring it to katie twas her mother's says she i was keepin for her and thick it is with holes be the same token but don't say i'd be robbin it off for her and they told me to take tibbalong or else they'd be leavin her to run wild so i put her in the basket begorra i believe bobby had a notion to be comin wid me and the cat for he was lettin sorrowful balls the last thing i heard of him so away i come wid the best of me haste och i knock the queer walkin out of meself entirely and i stopped at the last big place i was passin to get katie the oranges and i was trampin it all the night after till just when there was a streak of the mornin over the bog i come into lisconnel but och where where the roofs off of the house och the look of the black hole with the rafters stickin through it and ne'er a breath of smoke till me heart was sick watchin to see might there be an odd one and the door clap clappin sure be that i well knew the child was dead me father quit out of it or maybe buried himself and i after leavin them dyin and starvin so for fraid somebody be comin out and tellin me off i run away into the bog till i was treadin here in the cold water and then i tumbled the old cat out of the basket that was scrawlin and yowlin disperate and i took and slung the basket into the stream there's the handle among them rushes and down i sat under the bank i don't know how many nights and days it is at all but here i stop never a foot i'll stir to be lookin for bite or sup or lettin on i'm in it and anybody may take the bit of money and welcome i'd as lief be pickin up the dirt on the road for i'll just give me life a chance to ind out of the world's misery and desolation now may goodness forgive you said the widow mcgurk it's a poor case to want the wit troth and yourselves the queer old child desertin mean-spirited easy frighted slavine of a young bestoon but what sort of contrivance is it you have on you at all at all be way of a head that you couldn't have the sense to consider the roof blowin off a body's house would be the reason enough for them to be quittin out of it and no signs of dyin in the matter do you think the wind was apt to be waitin till there happened to be nobody within afore it got scatterin the thatch god help us all you've little to do to be squattin there talkin about desolations and miseries with the two of them this instant minute sittin be the fire up at my place and sorra a hand's turned ailin em for by katie's a trifle contrary now and then through not bein entirely strong yet and bedad at that hearin reports of the occurrence used to proceed from this point the leap he gathered himself up wit 
and the rate he legged it off musha he was over the hill while we were pickin up his things for him and as for the old cat that he tripped over it rolled three perch of ground before it got a hold of its forefeet sure we were sittin there as quite as could be conceived the conclusion of this precipitate rush was thus recounted when all of a sudden we couldn't tell what come bouncin in at the door as if it had been shot out of the ends of the earth and had us all jumpin up and screechin till we seen it was only tom patman and he in such a takin you might suppose he thought somethin would swallow up old joe and the child on him before he could get at them lisconnel's opinion was divided as to whether tom would actually have stayed and starved in his hiding-place had he not been discovered mrs mcgurk thought it likely enough the cat goin back and forwards that way she said give her an idea there was something amiss in it and that was why she took andy along deed and she got a queer turn when first she spied the chap crouchin under the bank she couldn't tell but he might have been a corp brian kilfoyle's view was devil a much sure if he'd had e'er a notion to be doin anything again himself there was plenty of deep bog holes handy for him to sling himself into and have done with it whereupon mrs sheridan crossed herself and said deprecatingly ah sure be like the creature wouldn't have the wickedness in him to do such a thing a husband didn't know but he might them soft sort of fellows that sometimes stick to anything they took into their heads the same as a dab of mortar agin a wall and oddy rafferty supposed the fact of the matter was that if be any odd chance they got a notion of their own they mistook it for somebody else's on one point however the neighbours mrs mcgurk not excepted were practically unanimous the utter flagitiousness namely of tishy mccrum there was a tendency to begrudge her the trivial merit of having voluntarily left behind her the five-shilling piece for this marred the perfect symmetry of iniquity which is so pleasant to the eye when displayed by people of whom we have no opinion only mrs bryan said it was a mercy she had that much good nature in her itself but even she added that the fewer of them kind of folk she saw coming about the place the better she'd be pleased and she hoped they'd got shut of them for good and all this aspiration seemed the more likely to be fulfilled when within a week or so the patmans heard from the family of tom's first wife who held out prospects of work for himself and a home for katie and his father a proposal which was gladly accepted their departure left as the single trace of their sojourn to lisconnel tib the cat which remained behind a somewhat unwelcome bequest to the widow mcgurk indeed i fear the creature became a source of some annoyance to her because andy sheridan contracted the habit of addressing it by the name of tishy and bestowing upon it the same laudatory epithets with which the widow had been wont to justify her admiration for the energetic sisters it was on a hushed february morning that the patmans finally departed the smell of spring was in the air and filmy silvery mist had begun to float off the dark bogland in vanishing wreaths soft and dim as 
the frail slow blossom already stolen out over the writhen black branches up on the ridge a jewel had been left in the heart of every groundling trefoil and clover leaf and the long rays that twinkled to them was still just tinged with rose here and there a flake of gold seemed to have lit upon the clump of sombre green furze bushes by which neighbours in a small knot stood watching the three generations of patmans dwindle away down the road with its narrow dewy grass border threading the vast sweep of sky-rimmed brown father and son walked while little katie bobbed along balanced in a swaying donkey pannier the widow mcgurk who felt a good deal of concern about the destiny of her late lodgers hoped they were going to decent people for there wasn't as much sense among the three of them as you'd put on a fourpenny bit and mrs quigley thought twould be hard to say which the young man or old one was the foolishest for the blathers old joe talked about tom and the gabby tom made of himself over the child now that he had his own way with her was past belief and i can tell you said oddy rafferty there's folks going about that you'll want all the wits you ever had and maybe a trifle tacked on to get the better of rightly ah i question will they ever do any great things goodness help em said mrs sheridan twill be much if he keeps them outside the house well anyway said biddy ryan i'd liefer be in their coats for fortin or no fortin than like them two ugly tempered women settin off to the dear knows where after robbin and plunderin all before them true for you then biddy said mrs bryan turning away from her wide outlook we're none so badly off when we're stoppin where we are instead of streelin about with the notion of such black villainies in our mind for sure enough she said as she faced round towards the grey-peaked end walls and smoke-plumed thatch of lisconnel the world's a queer place to get travellin through take it as you will chapter fourteen good luck although laragmena is no great distance from lisconnel as the crow flies but little intercourse takes place between the two hamlets for the crow's flight would be over a rugged mountain ridge sinking into a trackless expanse of bog which often spreads rough and wet walking before wayfarers who have to experience it at closer quarters than those who merely throw down a flapping shadow as they pass and round by the road is a good long tramp not to be lightly undertaken so it does not happen half a dozen times in the year perhaps that anybody comes from thence to lisconnel and our visits thither are fewer still the neighbours say that the people up there do be very poor entirely and are wont to use a commiserating tone when speaking of them but their knowledge of the locality and its inhabitants is by no means intimate and would be even less so were it not that teresa joyce and her brother mick the remnant of mrs kilfoyle's family are now living there which makes a connecting link laurigmena is scattered rather wildly over the slopes of a grey mountain that shoulders the sea at the point where its foam comes nearest to lisconnel some of the cabins 
stand so low along the shore that the shingle knocks clattering at their doors when the tide is full and rough and other some are perched so high up on the hillside that they constantly disappear from view behind a curtain of the pale mists which haunt its summit creeping to and fro when one of these little white dwellings with its field fleck beside it emerges from the clouds you feel as if the slightly improbable had happened since at such a height you would have expected nothing but the appropriate rocks and swampy patches there was once a french princess who would no doubt have wondered why on earth any people should choose to live and farm in such unchancy places rather than that she would have ploughed herself up a little bit of the rich green land which spreads its broad tracks round about with sometimes sheep nibbling over it and here and there a few deer but the views of this young lady are represented as having been so far in advance of her age that she seems hardly possible as an historical personage and withdraws into the myth mists to that region certainly belongs the ancient chronicle in which we read how the irish nemedians revolting against the intolerable deal of cream and butter and wheaten meal exacted from them by their oppressors the fomorians those ferocious african pirates emigrated to hellas in hope of better things but were at last driven back home to escape the heavier yoke of the athenians who compelled them to dig clay in the valleys and carry it in leathern bags to the top of the highest mountains and the most craggy rocks in order to form a soil upon those barren places and make them fruitful and able to bear corn that history should repeat itself is of course to be recognized as merely a commonplace fact but a myth reproducing itself in the shape of events happening visibly before our eyes is a rarer phenomenon and it seems to be occurring whenever a string of lagermenians come plodding up their winding mountain path under the burden of heavy creels filled with earth or oftener with slippery brown sea-rack and leathery weed for it is in this way that whatever scanty foothold their starveling crops may find has been fashioned and maintained in the stony little fields year by year as the blustery days of late autumn darken into winter the steep ledged path is wetted all along with sea-water and bestrewn with dark trails and tough tawny pods out of the dripping creels until it grows as sharply ocean odorous as the beach while the many bare feet are continually toiling slowly up and quickly pattering down it yet their efforts are rewarded by only meagre and stunted growths so intractable is the material upon which they are expended mickey joyce has been heard to declare as he took a despondent bird's-eye view of his holding that you might as well be trying to raise crops in the crevices of the stone walls however as we were just now shown these dwellers at laragmena have another resource to fall back upon 
in fact they have nothing less than the wide sea as a supplement to their bit of land the queer small boats hauled up on the sand and dark brown net festooning the rafters betoken that as does also the bit of salt fish hung against the wall pallid and juiceless a shadowy wraith-like looking viand but the bounty of the sea has limits it does not yield up its stores for nothing but takes as well as gives and it helps itself sometimes on a liberal scale some years ago for instance it took poor thady joyce and several of his companions who had gone off in a couple of luggers after the herrings the event is remembered with awe at larigmena because in that wild march gloaming con the queer one had met daddy himself face to face stepping up the winding path and had given him good evening and asked him how he had got all dripping wet just at the very time when the unlucky lad must have been lying drowned miles and miles from there among the surges of galway bay other such toll has often been levied since then for the carras and pucons in which larigmena goes to see our frail craft to cope with the billows come rolling maybe from the fog banks of newfoundland and blasts that have cooled their breath among hills of ice before they sweep across the atlantic now and then a boat comes to grief even in the short voyage made for the purpose of cutting rack from the shells of the black reef that lies a bit off the shore so on the whole the inhabitants of larigmena may be considered to pay dearly for their supplies of fish and seaweed and we at lisconnel though we lived beyond reach of such things and have few substitutes for them are not far wrong in speaking of the people up there as real poor entirely yet they themselves would not by any means have it supposed that they think bad as they call it of their fortunes and habitation on the contrary whatever their private opinion may be they are disposed to uphold the merits of the place in public and to prove themselves sudden and quick in resentment of any outsider's disparaging criticism the most deadly insult that can be offered to a larigmenian as such is an allusion to the libelous report that has somehow become current to the effect that his reverence at drumrow the nearest parish always sends out a special messenger on saturday night to remind them of the morrow's mass the innuendo being that larigmena's out-of-the-way situation and general want of culture preclude its inhabitants from knowing the day of the week this is why an innocent seeming remark such as well boys it's tuesday this morning has been known to set blackthorns whirling wildly something of the sort occurred at salinmore fair one day in last september when matt doyne and andy sheridan from lisconnel fell in with their acquaintances larry sullivan and felix morrow from larigmena after they had fought as long as seemed good to them they exchanged what news they had the most important piece was that larry and felix were presently setting off to the states they were rather urgent in advising the other two lads to join their party but andy said that 
everything would go to sticks at home if he was out of it and matt averred that his mother would be of the opinion she was lost and kilt entirely if he so much as mentioned any such an idea and herself with your brother terence at home to be keepin her company objected felix sure there's me mother with ne'er another creature in the world you may say but meself and she's never done this last six months persuaded me to go along then it's the queer woman she must be bedad said matt unless it's yourself the queer bastoon on her entirely and maybe that's like her a rejoinder which brought on a renewal of hostilities just at this time a spell of fine weather very bright and serene had been brooding over lisconnel it was the early spring of autumn when leaves and berries here and there are taking a blossom-like vividness the frost touched briar sprays seemed to have found and dipped in the same red that had dyed the young buds and shoots of april the air was so still that the seeded dandelions stood day after day with their fairy globes unbereft of a single downy dart like little puffs of vapour among the grasses a soft mist rounded off all the bogland holding in it rows the sunbeams that steeped it and letting them waken to their full golden glory at the very heart of noon but one morning the haze began to thicken and darken on the horizon as if wafts of murky smoke were blown through it and towards evening massy shapes of black clouds came slowly lifting themselves up some with outlines curved like bosky clumps of wood some ruggedly ledged and angled like a drift of begrimed icebergs by sunset the far west was all a sullen gloom veined with lurid tawny streaks and mottled with deeper stains old peter sheridan who is reputed to have a great eye for the weather turned it forebodingly upon the prospect and said the sky was the moral for all the world of the back of an old brindled bull and he'd never known any good come of that manner of appearance and true for him before sunrise next morning lisconnel was roused by the revelry of a crashing thunder peal which preluded a violent storm it is seldom that one booms and rattles so loudly over a bogland or glares with so fierce a flame brian kilfoyle taking a rapid observation through his door said be the powers of smoke i never seen the equal of that you might think they was after whitewashing the whole place with blindin' fire here's out of it says i and he retreated blinking to his dark corner at the height of it even andy sheridan who is probably our freest thinker felt secretly relieved to know that his stepmother and his sisters were saying their prayers the arrangement seemed to give him a sense of security without claiming any concessions from his superior strength of mind but in the end the perilous clouds rolled away growling and gleaming towards the mountains and the sea leaving only one victim behind the quigley's little goat who had been struck dead by a lightning flash to the sorrow of her owners and the awe of all lisconnel 
in contemplation of the black and white body stretched out still on her wide grazing ground the storm however seemed to have broken up the fair weather and the days that followed were blustery and rainy on the next of them larry sullivan and felix morog were seen passing through lisconnel evidently equipped for a journey larry who had parted from no near friends was apparently in good spirits but felix looked so much cast down that his contemporaries refrained from any references to the days of the week and the pair went on their way unmolested amongst the lengthening shadows they reported the storm to have been terrific altogether up at larigmena the woody bork's thatch was set in a blaze and it was a living miracle that the whole of them wasn't frizzled up like a pan of frying herons it may have been ten days or so after this that a good many of the neighbors had dropped in one evening at mrs doyne's she had been ailing of late and old dan o'beirne had stepped up from the forge to prescribe for her and cheer her with accounts of how finely young dan and her daughter stacy were getting on at their place down below in duffclane the rest of the party had assembled merely for company and conversation it included members of nearly all our families kilfoyles and quigleys and ryans and rafferties and the witty mcgurk and big anne presently judy ryan who was looking out of the door had an announcement to make whether now and who might yous be when you're at home there's two women comin along the road from sallenbeg ways i dunno the looks of at all i should say but the rain's mistin thick between me and them carryin bundles they are if they're not any of the tinkers we're right enough one of them's a little old body and the other's a good size bigger strangers they are och mercy on me have i eyes in me head at all how strange she is sure it's theresa joyce herself but we haven't seen her this great while and who she has along with her i couldn't be tellin you a feeble sort of creature she looks to be according to the way she's foosterin along when these two travellers arrived at the doyne's door nobody failed to recognize theresa joyce notwithstanding the estrangement of a long absence and she hastened to introduce her unknown companion who kept a tight clutch on her arm as if afraid to let go and looked at nobody's face but seemed to listen from one to the other she was it appeared the widow morogue from larigmena who had been struck blind by the lightning in the great storm friday was a week the sight of her eyes clean destroyed with one flash as she was throwing a bit of food to the fowl at her door and the last child she had belonging to her set off the next morning to the states and now she herself was going to the union down at moynalone for what else could she be doing that couldn't see her hand before her face so theresa was bringing her down and they thought they might have gone as far as duffclane against night but the creature wasn't well used yet to walkin in the dark so they were slow comin and they'd hardly do it such was the outline of mrs morogue's history up to date and its rehearsal had at once the effect of arousing a sympathetic bustle about her which did not subside until she sat a wet and wayworn guest in the most comfortable hearth corner 
and had been provided with a cup of the tea that Mrs. Doyne had made herself in her character of an invalid. She now sat on one side of the blind woman and stirred her tea for her, and on the other Dan O'Byrne shook his head in regretful confirmation of the opinion pronounced by the drumrow doctor, which was reported to be that mortal man couldn't do her a threnine of good. Meanwhile, Theresa Joyce, who was likewise bedrenched and weary, found a seat in the opposite corner, where her nearest neighbours were Oddie Rafferty and her niece-in-law, Mrs. Brian Kilfoyle, with her daughter Rose. "'Well, Theresa, it's the long while since you've stepped over to see us,' Oddie said, starting the conversation, "'and it's the soft evening you've chose to be comin'. Your shawl's dreeped. Take it off, and I'll give it a shake above the fire. Be dad, Theresa, the two of us has been wearin' the dusty meal-bags on our heads since the time I seen you first. As black as a slow you was, but now it's liker the blossom it's turned. And time for it, said Theresa. Sure I'm over seventy year of age now, anyway, every day of it. And the long days there was among them, God knows. But with all that, ne'er a one of them was long enough for you to be finding a man to your mind in it, said Oddie. And I declare to goodness, I don't know, but maybe it's the very sensible woman you are for that same. Sure meself was a great while afore ever I thought of axin' Biddy, and for anything I can tell I might have done better if I'd held me tongue a bit longer, and then said nothing, as the saying is. I was old enough to know me own mind anyway, but Musha, for that matter, Rose there'll presently be settin' up to think she's old enough to know hers, and it's twenty chances if she has as much wit as you. And why would she, said Teresa, or anybody, be wishin' it to her? Oh, let that alone. There's a deal of different sort of wit, and no reason why one of them shouldn't be as good as another. Look at her grandmother, me sister Bessie. It's plenty of peace and comfort she had with her marrying. This was quite true, as although she had been rather early widowed, and her only daughter had married an emigrant, her son and his wife had taken such care of her and made so much of her that the neighbours had never thought of calling her the widdy, a title reserved for a woman left struggling alone. And she had remained Mrs. Kilfoyle to the end of her days. And look at the poor creature there, what's she's come to said oddie instancing the tragical figure of the widow moroch eh the saints may pity her said theresa but the likes of such bad luck happens few people married or single thank god it's a queer unnatural young villain her son must be said mrs brian to skite off and leave her that away sorrow the bit he can be good for deed now nor a woman that's the very notion is distressing me, said Theresa, for I don't know, but it's after using him ill, I am. You see, the way of it was the poor soul, poor Mrs. Morogue, had the great dread of the sea upon her be reason of her husband and her father getting drowned at the fishing, so she's always the fear in her mind of the same thing happening her couple of boys. However, the eldest of them went off to California a good few years back, and was doing pretty middlin' well out there the last she heard of him, but that's a long while ago now, about getting married he was. But Felix, 
the lad she had at home wid her until the other day often enough he was bound to be on the water after the fish and the seaweed if he was to get his livin at all and distracted she was seemin him goin out in their old boat that leaks enough in her to sink the biggest ship ever set sail and herself with scarce the width to hold a sizable flounder says i to felix one wild evenin when we was argufyin with him that sure the little loadin he could be puttin in her would never be worth losin his life for but says he to me the bit of food they'd put in their mouths was littler again yet they might be losin their lives for want of it and ne'er a word had i said to that but one night last winter he was as nearly lost as anything in a squall and after that his mother would be tormentin herself worse than she was before so she set her heart entirely on gettin him to take off to the states and be out of the way of fishin and drownin she'd a gone wid him herself only they said she was too old and spoilin his chances she'd be a long while it was before he'd hear any talk of it the whole summer she was persuadin him but at last he made up his mind he would twas no notion of his own to be leavin her i'll say that for him whether now but that was as curious a plan as ever i heard tell of for keepin a person from drownin said oddy to be sendin him off over the rollin seas sailin goodness can tell you how many hundreds and thousands of miles what was she dreamin of at all at all to do such a thing ah but sure it's a different sort of sailin said teresa why they say one of them big steamers would carry a couple of our little boats along wid her and you'd scarce notice she had them on board terrible safe they must be if they're that size and more betoken said mrs brian there's such a sight of ships comin and goin between this and the states wouldn't you think that again now they'd have got a kind of track line crossin over as if it was a manner of road they was followin that nothin's apt to happen them on and not strayin about promiscuous in the storms track said oddy shrilly bedad then it's the queer track and the queer places it brings them into do you know that for one thing they go slap through the bay of biscayne and is that an ugly bay said mrs brian you can call it that i wouldn't be sayin so to herself over there said oddy with much careful mystery for it might be only discouraging the creature worse than she is already but it's the place where the seven oceans of the world meet ay indeed ma'am but don't be lettin on to her i was speaking to a man who had a brother went through it and he said the ragin and tearin of them all flowin together would terrify the senses out of king solomon they had the great big steamer he was in whirlin round and round and round the same as if it was afloat on one of its own paddle wheels he couldn't tell how many days and nights tracks how are you it's a very ready one there is in it to the bottom of the sea still a good few people gets through it safe enough said teresa ay and comes back through it of an odd while but how many's lost in it that you never hear tell of said oddy besides that the man i was talking to told me his brother was never right in his head after the tossin he got it's a poor case to be landin ravin mad in a strange country supposing you get there itself but me own notion is that if people's well off 
they'd a right to stop where they are and if they're misfortunate they've a chance anyway of better bad luck staying at home Adi stated his own notion authoritatively and Teresa looked depressed by the dilemma in which it seemed to place the emigrant deed now maybe it's a bad turn i'm after doing the two of them she said but poor mrs morrough many a time she says to me it'd be the greatest comfort to her at all to get to get quit of the fear she was in continual whenever he went out with the old boat sure she might be a bit lonesome she'd say but after all what great company was he to her when half the time she would be drowning him under the roll of the sea like his poor father and grandfather and with the most he could do it's hard set he was to make what it keep him so she'd planned she'd be able to contrive well enough wid her hens and her spriggin' work till felix could be sendin her over a trifle a very clever woman she was at the spriggin a handkerchief corner she'd work was real elegant pence a piece she got for them and i've known her finish a dozen in three days och but i got a turn on the friday mornin when i stepped down to her place to see what way they were after the storm and there she was sittin crouched up in a corner and screechin to me to know who was comin in and i standin before her eyes in the middle of the sunbeam and glory be to god says she that it's yourself for you'll have the same sense to give me a hand wid endeavourin to keep the knowledge of what's after happenin me from felix the way he won't be prevented a goin to-morrow sorra a foot would he if he knew aught ailed me and then sure he might stay at home for good and all and drowned he'd be and meself a go demented and sure i thought it may be no thing to be doin and so i said to her but it seemed that the heart of her was to be broke altogether if anything could hinder him gettin out of it and then i was mindin the father and grandfather of him the way they went and me brother poor thady and i couldn't tell but i might a reason to think bad of biddin him stay and if he did sure perhaps he couldn't be keepin her at all and she so helpless it's better able he might be to help her out in the states and sorra i ha been to disappoint the creature of the first wish she'd took a thought of sittin in the dark of her misfortune so the end of it was i settled i'd stop wid her for the day and try could we let on there was nothin amiss when the felix come in that was out somewhere since early in the morning before the storm began end of section nine